0: Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsport show where supermodifieds are king. Methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Inside Groove Supermodified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker. This is episode 112. It is great to be back in the saddle again. And uh, we've got uh, a very special guest coming up uh, here in just a little bit. Fourth generation racer, Sawyer Stout, going to join us for the first time. Sawyer is a Midwest racer, and he's uh, he's kind of part of that generation of rising young uh, stars that uh, is happening in the Ohio area. Sawyer races sprint cars, but uh, got a taste of super modified racing last year. And so he uh, hopes to do more this year. And um, we'll talk to him about all of that. Of course, what's in the number coming up as well. We've got two more numbers to look at. Number three and number 12. And so we'll be uh checking those out also. Okay, so um uh, I always try to have something for the open and it it's interesting because um there was a there was a post that Sandy Swift Downey, Nolan Swift's daughter, put out uh on on Facebook in the groups that um talking about how Nolan Swift would have been a hundred years old i I, I can't even <laughs> I mean you just can't fathom that and and you say to yourself well gosh um I mean how do you even begin to discuss that but right because you, you know you can't imagine any of these folks living to be a hundred well, so I got thinking about that a little bit, and then somewhere else. Maybe it was even a comment to the post. I'm not sure. Somebody shared it and added their own comment. And I I can't remember who it was, but they made the point that Nolan's longtime crew chief, Bill Wright, is still with us and is going to be 100. How crazy is that? I mean, that's just... Unbelievable. It's, it's just, it's Looney Tunes is what it is. It's amazing. Um, so, uh, that, that was, that kind of caught my interest. And I, you know, you just start thinking back and, and it's, it's, I know we talked a lot about Nolan just a couple of shows back as far as, you know, the number 10 when we, when we reviewed that number. Um, but you know, when you really think about it, I mean, no one was racing in the fifties, and you think about all of the innovation that no one did really or tried anyway. You know, back then the division as a whole, obviously, when he started racing, they were still running the modified cars, right? They were they were basically stock cars, right? Um, and and then the supers came in, and Nolan was the first driver. To take the body off as modified and try to run with the, the uh, invading modifieds, And, you know, you think about the cars he built over the years. Nolan was, you know, some of them didn't. Obviously, the rear engine didn't work worth a flip, right? But back then, that's what modifieds were. That's what made super modified so amazing is that you would have somebody like Swifty or Jimmy champagne, Jimmy, a couple of his early cars didn't work worth a flip either. Um, and you know, there were so many examples of, of cars in those days, the sixties and the seventies. Um, and you know, obviously even into the, the eighties as well, I think, but I think by the nineties, there wasn't as much real innovation. I think the, you know, once you ban the, the four wheel drive car and the rear engine car, um, you know, it started, you know, then you're, then the, the, you know, you start every time you make a rule that says you can't do something, then you start limiting what you can do. Right. So it just makes, and now there's really no innovation at all. Um, and so it's back then, I mean, if you, if you were at the track in the sixties and this probably would be a, this would be a, one of those moments when I wish I had Larry Trinker or somebody sitting next to me to, to chime in on this. But, you know, back in those days, there was so much of that because nobody really, you know, when people first started building supers, they were cut downs and then you sort of started seeing the roadster style, but sort of within each of those categories since so much of almost I mean gosh what maybe 80 or 90 percent of the cars I don't know that anybody was really mass producing any, you know any cars back in those days maybe Bill Height, I guess as you got into the 70s he had the you know was doing the rear engine stuff or whatever and Todd Gibson built a lot of cars I mean but it wasn't I mean there were so many different designs and people tried so many different things and you'd see you know huge tail sections you'd see so many different styles of of uh nose cones um you know noses um different cages motor in a different place driver area in a different place you know of course and obviously um, you had your four-wheel drive cars, and it was it was kind of a wild west, if you think about it. And so, thinking about Nolan, I don't know that Nolan necessarily gets name-checked as a great innovator, in only because again, I feel like. You know, when you talk about the rear engine car, here's, here's what I feel like kind of made him and hurt him at the same time in a different way. So in it, I don't remember what year, I think it was maybe 67 or eight when he had, when he built the rear engine car, maybe it was 68. He built the rear engine car. Um, and it didn't, again, it it just didn't run. It was a cool, I thought it was a cool looking car to be honest. Um, and it was one of the only cars that Nolan had, um, and maybe the last one that he had that wasn't base color white, which was interesting. But Swifty had the the rear engine for what almost all of the season, and I think one it the week before the classic, or the week was it classic weekend itself. He goes and builds a brand new super, shows up and wins. <laughs> I mean, it's just. You know, and so I think everybody kind of gets so caught up at, at how amazing it was that he showed up with a brand new super for the classic and one that, you know, that you sort of you forget a little bit about, you know, the swing and a miss that the rear engine car was. Right. um, and, and And so I think that. But but again, the fact that he the The fact that he built a rear engine car that didn't work shouldn't take away from the fact that he he then turned around and it, in the top of the ninth inning, you know, hit a walk off home run and 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 he 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 did that how many times? I mean, he would something would happen or he'd wreck on Friday or you know the last car that he had. Um, I think was, and no one seemed to really like independent front too. That was the other thing is I, I feel like over the years and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but I feel like over the years, no one, almost every car he built was built as an independent front. And I feel like he just, you know, he, he was sort of determined that that was going to work now, I guess on some of the cars, maybe it did. And then you know that last car he had, very last one, that uh, ended up in Ron Gavsky's hands. Um, you know, I I mean, again, that car, he brought it out in what would it be seventy six? I guess right. Man, I mean, it didn't it didn't run at all. So then all of a sudden, he makes the car longer, a little bit. I think over the winter of that year goes to Fulton and wins a hundred lap feature in, you know, in 77. And I think he had another top finish too there, at least one more. He would, the, the car just worked really good with a wing after that. Um, and, but it, it just still, it was better, but it still wasn't competitive to win at Oswego. And mind you, in 77, we were still, I mean, Jimmy's offset was sitting there, but he didn't run it till about halfway through the season. So basically, no one was competing against other 8-inch offsets still. And, you know, just the thing just didn't quite get there. And then we get the 11th hour again over Classic Weekend. Um, He didn't time trial in, I don't think. And so they go and they stretch the car some more. And he shows up on Sunday and I think he won both his heat and his semi. This was, I think it was before the Bud Light B main, right? Won his heat and semi and then went out and, and just drove to a seventh place finish. The classic, which I know wasn't a win, but um, it kind of was in a way because that car just, it again, they made it work. And, you know, Nolan came out in 78 and, 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 then had the, um, had the motor blow on port city day. I think it was that race. And, uh, that was it. And, and so I, I feel like it so, so much Nolan was a, I think was a, a better builder and a, and a bigger innovator. And he wasn't afraid to try something really different, but it's it, so, I just feel like he doesn't always get name checked necessarily for the for his skills as a as a car builder but all his cars um most of his cars were fast but then you know again he wasn't afraid to try something different and um i feel like i don't exactly know what no one was trying for with the last car um it it certainly was a different looking car it seemed like it was wider than the normal super um you know, and, and uh it was different for, for a Swift car. Um so I I'm not sure exactly what you know what the thinking was, but um man, he just Nolan certainly was he was the he, he was the guy who built the track. You know, he was the guy who um as far as drivers, he was the the, the star. You know, and so yeah, you know, I've always said, you know, Swifty built it. Jimmy renovated it <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and then everybody, uh, and then you had your guys like Bentley that took turns living in it and, and, you know, and, um, kind of modernizing it as they went. Right. And so, um, no one, it's hard to really, I think what was, what Sandy wanted was people to just kind of, you know, talk about him and whatever. And I, I was going to write something in there. And then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do it here. Um, Nolan was just amazing. And I'm, I've always been so thankful. And I've said it before that, um, I got to see him. I started in 73. So I got to see him when he was still competitive enough to win. And, and there was still, you know, he was still a, a threat. Um, and, you know, got to, to meet him and interact with him a little bit. Um, you know, I, I, again, he was, those guys back then had fun, you know? Um, and I, I've heard a story and I don't know how true it is, but I, I've heard a legend. I'll call it a legend because, you know, again, you never know what's true. What is isn't, But, um, somebody does, right. I heard that there was a night after the track when Swifty and Baldy Baker basically took over the bar at the Colonial House. That's that's what I heard. They were basically tending bar, um, and you know those guys—they were everybody used to go out and have a good time. You know, it isn't it, it isn't like today. You don't see that anymore. You know, they throw the checker, Everybody loads up, and goes home. Yeah, you know, nobody. It, it's just such a different atmosphere different time those guys were all you know buddies and you know they may they may squabble with each other you know during the race night or whatever but man afterward they were all going out and having a good time you know and and uh so um but i i heard that once about nolan and baldy and of course we you know i, I we, we know i mean baldy <laughs> baldy and his budweiser were celebrated right um, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, those guys just, they, they just knew how to have fun. So, um, hundred years old, he would have been. And the fact that Billy Wright is going to be a hundred this year is just amazing. And, and I, I pray that, uh, I, I pray that, that he's still with us for the birthday, you know, and, and he makes it to the century mark. Cause that's, that's amazing. Um, and so, um, there you go. So thinking about Nolan for sure, always do. I mean, I I just I I still honestly don't think Nolan you know, when it comes to from the Oswego speedway itself, I still don't think Nolan ever got the kind of tribute that he deserved. I mean, you know, I it should be the Nolan Swift grandstand in the front. You know, at least part of it. You know, divide it up by sections. Give Jimmy a section, Nolan a section. You know, you you just Nolan should be a much bigger part of the Speedway um, than, than what he is, in my opinion, for the amount of time that he put in there. And, and, uh, and again, him and Jimmy were two of the first promoters, too, as far as like going out and you know doing news stories or interviews um, with the media. Both of them did a lot of that. And, um, and their rivalry was entirely, it was kind of like Dale Earnhardt, Jeff Gordon, their rivalry was entirely, um, I don't want to say entirely, but those two knew what they were doing. They understood the role they played. They understood what that does for the fans and, and for the track. And they, they played it up. They just did. And they were great friends. Um, Jim, I know that Jimmy, um, looked up to Nolan and, and, uh, you know it. Those days were fun. So there you go. There's, there's the open. Um, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, Sawyer Stout's gonna join us, and then uh, we're going to have what's in a number. We're gonna do number three. We're gonna do number twelve. And by the way, the next um, and first sort of standalone um, look back seventy two season rewind. It's done. So you will see that come out shortly after this show does. And uh, that's as we talked about last time, that's going to be kind of uh, the fair is is, you know, those those season rewinds um, don't know if I can get one a week, but we're going to try. But um, you're going to see those much more frequently as we go forward into the year more and um, the show. Uh, the show is obviously will continue to come, but that segment is just going to get broken out. And then as we can get a few minutes of Camden's time when he has it uh, to keep up with news, we'll, we'll make that a separate segment as well. So we're going to take a break and Sawyer Stout will be joining us next here on in Inside Groove. Stay with us. Experience the age old Irish hospitality at LaGroffe's Pub and Grill, a Swiggo's premier local spot to grab a cold one and cheer on your favorite sports teams. Stop in for an ice cold beer alongside some exceptional pub fare, burgers, wings, chicken sandwiches, Philly cheesesteaks, soups, and more. You want it. They've got it served up with more than 40 years of awesome customer service. Have a friendly game of darts against players from across the world. That's right. Players from across the world. Where else? In Oswego, can you go to play darts against somebody from across the world? That's crazy. Watch the games on their eight big screen TVs or just relax at Oswego's Neighborhood Bar and Grill. LaGroffe's Pub, 187 East 10th Street in Oswego. Check them out on LaGroffe's.com. Welcome back to the groove episode 112 continues time for our featured guest. And it's always fun when we can kind of get out of the swiggle bubble and interview someone from a different part of super modified land. And in this case, um, a fourth generation, uh, racer, at least in terms of being involved in the sport, we, uh, welcome for the first time to the inside groove podcast Sawyer Stout and uh, Sawyer is with us 18 years old and got his first taste of uh, big block super modifieds last year, both um, in the family car for for a night and then also uh, with the Wasecki team. And we'll talk about all that. But uh, first of all, let's start from the very beginning. Sawyer, welcome to the program. It is great to have you on. And let's talk first about your your family history um you said earlier your great-grandfather was involved in the sport way back in the day tell us kind of give us a little bit of the family tree here we think everybody knows about your dad and super modified racing and even um your grandpa but um i don't think any any of it too many people know that uh, there was a great grandpa
2: involved here yeah um to my knowledge yeah he was a big stock car racer and and uh, I don't remember too much. Um, I never got to talk to him. Uh, I don't really... We never really talked about way back when. Uh, most okay. of my memories are from my grandfather. With uh, He had drag cars and then stock cars. And then midgets is what I mostly remember and relate them to. Uh, and then obviously my dad with the Supers, uh, the late models, ASA cars. He had a Sprint car. Wow. Uh, he had almost everything under the moon. Um, and then my brother he's got a a pavement modified that he runs down here whenever he's not traveling with work. And then I got the sprint car now. So yeah, it's a pretty, pretty rich family, family tree there.
1: Now did your dad race all those things or was he, was he just a car owner for all those things? Talk a little bit about kind of what your dad was involved with. He still obviously owns supers, but what you, you mentioned several other kinds of cars there.
2: Yeah. He, uh, he was a big time car owner and and crew chief uh he never he never raced anything okay uh he always said when he was younger he wanted someone who could make him money so <laughs> he, went, uh, he went and he found the best that he could find and I think we counted on the way to Christmas one year. He's up to like forty two drivers, so
1: oh my gosh,
2: he's, a, he's definitely got a lot and he's he's not very proud to say it, but I like to make fun of him for it.
1: Well, now, see, the question would be: If I put you on the spot, how many of the forty-two drivers could you name?
2: Oh boy, probably like <laughs> eight of them. Yeah,
1: because <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them were probably before your time, right?
2: Oh yeah, I I really only remember the super modified some of the super modified ones. And, okay, so,
1: so what's your first memory of being at the racetrack?
2: Um, and I know when I was you? very young, a couple of days old. I know they had taken me to the racetrack, but that's way too young for me to remember. <laughs> um, I would say my earliest memory of being at a racetrack is when I raced myself and in the kid carts at great Lake Speedway. Oh, uh, I would say, I would say that's my earliest memory.
1: So your earliest memory is actually your, you know, one of your first races probably. Um, and you were what four? Yeah. Four, four years old, man, racing a kid cart. Um, it's amazing. Cause I'm, I'm, I do a lot of announcing in in karting, and and it's always funny to watch like the five and six and seven year olds and the kid carts and whatever, and stop to think about you know it's like I always like to to remind people that are watching what what were you doing at at, at six right I mean that's you know you barely barely read and you're having to learn all the flags and understand pedals and all that all the racing rules and all that so what was that like for you in the in in the carts of the early days did you win a lot what was your what was the early part of your career like
2: um early part of my career I mean a lot of it was hot laps here at the house you know in the backyard up and down the driveway okay stuff like that but I didn't, I did not run very many races, uh, in the kid cart. Um, I ran probably four or five a year and only did it for one or two years. So it wasn't very many. Uh, ah,
1: okay. So you went from carts to what you said, quarter midgets.
2: Yeah. Quarter midgets.
1: Was that because somebody decided you sh- should have a cage and seat belts, or what was the, what was the reason for that transition? Oh
2: yeah. My mom was a very big advocate for safety and, (laughs) and, uh, she didn't like the whole no cage, no seatbelt idea. So,
1: well, fortunately, Uh, hopefully she didn't see the chili bowl the one night this year. Uh, you know, realizing (laughs) you can fall out of a caged car, just, you know, the the seatbelts don't work. Um, you know, it's, um, that's, that, that was crazy. And thankfully, uh, he was okay. But what, uh, so what do you remember about your quarter midget days? Where'd you race those? Did you go touring nationally or did you kind of stay local?
2: We were more of a local, a local team. Um, we ran a lot of indoor stuff during the winter cause it didn't conflict with oh, that's the, fun. the summer super modified stuff. Okay. Um, so mostly, uh, the Buckeye indoor nationals, um, we ran a couple shows at Toledo outdoors um very rarely would run sandusky i know my brother raced a lot more there in the quarter midget than i did okay uh we raced at fremont on sundays at the pavement track and that was kind of about it
1: did you have a do you have a moment from your quarter midget career that's kind of the moment you remember? Do you have a favorite race maybe a race you won or something cool that happened
2: oh uh, i got i got two i got like a good and a bad one i remember so, you know, growing up, grew up with J.J. Hennis and KCJ, and, Casey Jay all the, and yeah. we were around each other all the time, um, but one of my, like, favorite memories back in the day was in Red Rookie. Uh, it was, like, J.J.'s first or second race, and uh, I lapped him, and oh. I forever will hold that against him, <laughs> no matter where we go. You know, I know now we race Supers and sprint cars together, and we're constantly with each other, but... I will never let him <laughs> let that go.
1: Well, it's, so. it's funny because one of one, the very first time that my brother and I ever got in go karts was at a track near our house, and and um, he was four years younger than me. I don't even remember how old we were, but I do remember the day that it happened because he ended up lapping me like three times. Like, <laughs> but it it you know I was always he he, he didn't have any fear. And, and, you know, and even to this day, he, you know, he's a, he's a motorcyclist and not that he doesn't respect the bike, but just to say that, that he always had that, he didn't, he didn't have that. I, I was, I had to sort of figure it all out first i i didn't you know i was more the 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 methodical let's gain on it a little so it didn't take me too long to realize i could run those things flat out but but it was fu- it was just funny to remember and i i'll never forget that um that day so don't feel bad because i jj shouldn't feel bad because um i got lapped three times at a fun cart track so um but <laughs> yeah. uh you know that's kind of how that went but um yeah so you you went from you, you ran quarter midgets for a while, and then did you go straight from the quarter midget into the
2: front-wheel drive car? Yeah, so there was about like a <clears> – <throat> in between the senior Honda days to heavy Honda, there was about a three- or four-year break. Oh, okay. Um, It was just – it turned into one of those things where I didn't think I wanted to do it. But uh, with my brother still racing it, it kind of convinced me otherwise. So then we built another car, went and raced indoors with it. and Okay, tried to get some more seat time, and then it was, like, another two-year break up until I got into the big cars with the front-wheel drives and stuff like that. Oh, okay.
1: So you were quite a bit older by the time you got into the full-size car, which at least helps to explain the quick success you had because I remember that you basically won, like, your first three races in the car, didn't you?
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, 15 years old.
1: 15, that's right. Yeah, time goes quick. So what was – I mean (laughs) – What was that like to just sort of show up with a big car and go out and win three in a row like that? I'm sure that wasn't something you necessarily planned on when you started this thing.
2: Yeah. um, It was, it was kind of cool back at the shop because you know, my brother had a couple of those front wheel drives that he would run and he would constantly, whenever he was home, he would go race his car. Okay. And you know, if he didn't break, he was winning, you know? So I think he, the year before he had won three or so races. So when I got when I got this car I, I looked at him and of course brother competition, I looked at him, I said, I'm gonna beat you. He goes, What do you mean? And I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna get more wins than you have. And no you no you won't and I'm like, Alright, here we go. So we went up and we showed up <laughs> with that car and it was it was a pretty pretty quick thing. So Well It that... uh it kinda sucked. He was in Kansas when I won my first race, so talking on the front stretch with the microphone I started to tear up a little bit because he didn't get to see it but <laughs> it was it was definitely kind of cool
1: that is cool I'm sure that he was proud of you and and still is um did did he get to see any of your other wins though
2: yeah uh, I think one or two more he got to see and then we went once we were kind of more familiar with the car we went to Lorraine um, and we were like second quick all day. And in the future the shifter broke, so we ended up in like the way wrong gear and it was it was bad. I was all bummed out because I <laughs> thought we had a shot at winning and went back to Lorraine one or two more one more time and finished third. Okay. Um racing for the lead I got past and not bad. Yeah.
0: So,
1: so now how long did you race that car? How many years? Just a couple, right?
2: <laughs> one. Oh just <laughs> one. Okay. Yeah. And yeah,
1: then what, 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 I think the sprint car was next, wasn't it?
2: Yeah. So the plan was to race that same stock car the next year. Uh, I rebuilt it all over the winter, put tons of money, time and effort into it, you know, built this really, really nice car. Um, And then I got, I got the call to race a sprint car. And, and of course that hits you hits you right in the right spot and it's like well i don't want to i don't want to race stock cars anymore
1: so uh <laughs> go race kind of threw that to the
2: wayside and, and went and raced the sprint car all year
1: so what was that like to make the transition that's a 360 that you got right
2: uh no it's a uh it's a three like a 350 cubic inch uh it's a sealed 602 engine so
1: it's a 350 okay all right Okay. Oh, okay. So it's a. So now, what was that like? How was that compared to the four cylinder? As far or you had a six? Or did you have a six cylinder? Because they allowed them. Yeah, did it, you have it a was six?
2: A six, but we ran them together, so it was okay. It was the same thing.
1: How? What? How? But how much more in terms of the power of the sprint car? Obviously, a sprint car is lighter, right?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Way lighter. So and, what was and it? Just way faster.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. So even with that motor, it was a lot faster. So. How quickly did you adjust to the speed and, and talk about your first time in that car?
2: Uh, so the first time in the car, it was a, a Friday night uh, right before the race on Saturday. And it was me, uh, JJ Hennis, and, and obviously the affiliated crew. And we all went there. And I just remember it was not a good hot lap day. You know, first time in the car. I never fired it before. And oh, wow. I was all over, you know, loose driving like a maniac to not know what I was doing, <laughs> almost knocking the fence down. And oh boy. For some reason they thought it was a good idea to keep me in the car. Well, they had faith. They had they uh, confidence. So yeah. How did you reward them? Um, so it seemed like something clicked overnight. I don't know if I gained more confidence or something, but, uh, Saturday we, we had a rough day, kind of, um, finished dead last in the heat race and, Oh, and everything like that. But in the future, we somehow ended up third. I'm not 100% sure. And I beat JJ there too in my sprint <laughs> car debut. There you go. There's so two. <laughs> I've got a whole bunch of things going for me and against him. So.
1: <laughs> okay. So now we got to get JJ on because then we'll get the other side of these stories. But um, okay. So you, you finished third. See, they, their faith was rewarded with a, with a podium finish first night out. So now I imagine by the time you got out of the car after the feature, you really like driving sprint cars.
2: Oh yeah, it was so much cooler.
1: <laughs> so, so you you I assume you've never driven a full front wheel
2: drive since. Um, I did end up racing the the front wheel drive two more times. Oh. this past year. Um, I figured since I built the car, you gotta race it. So we took it to Lorraine one night, and uh, it pulled. It pulled the right front tie rod end out of the car going into turn one. Ouch. And Lorraine had just put a brand new concrete wall up in, oh no. in one and two and I tried <laughs> to knock the wall down and it destroyed the
1: <laughs> You car. strength tested it? Oh man. <laughs> oh, Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah so, uh, I, I fought the wall, it there. the wall won. Got it fixed up and uh went to Sandusky. They have a big uh front wheel drive race. Um It's usually like two thousand a win or something like that. Oh wow. And I was like, heck with this being in my backyard, might as well get it ready. So we got it ready and I was running third at the time and then it blew a right front tire and still ended up finishing the race in, in fifth. So It wasn't a bad car.
1: Yeah, bad. So did you have the sudden urge, though, when you got back in that to, like, put your right foot straight through the floorboard after driving the sprint car?
2: (laughs) Well, that's what I had talked to my dad about. I'm like, hey, man, this thing just doesn't go. And he's like, it's not going to. And I couldn't get it through my head that we're down half the horsepower and we're double the weight. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah. You, you, I always, you know, I always like to liken that sort of thing to the difference between driving a Cadillac down the highway at a hundred miles an hour, and then driving a Ford focus down the highway at a hundred miles an hour, you feel the speed a lot more in the focus, right? Because oh, yeah. it's so much lighter and more nimble and whatever, um, that you feel that sensation of speed. Whereas the Cadillac is more like, you know, it's a boat and, and it, uh, so that's, that's very interesting. So you, you, how, Overall, how is the sprint car career gone for you, and you've got your own car, so I assume you're still committed to um to running that uh you're running with um the Mussey series, but they've got that Mussey light series that you've been running um how's all that gone?
2: um, we had a little bit of a rough year last year. We had two podium finishes, but we only ended up finishing two races. Um, oh wow it, it, it out of like a nine race schedule. Um, two of them where I would admit are rookie mistakes, but, um, we ended up at Kalamazoo. Uh, I jumped a right rear of a lap car Ooh. running second and put it in the wall. Oh, Um, so that one was pretty rough and, uh, Sandusky, uh, I was in a race for third or fourth and when the guy had come up the track like normal, uh, he took the air off the nose wing and it just pushed real bad and smacked the front wall. Ah, um, the rest of them, they were just almost unexplainable, um, failures, hmm. uh, just things that it, it sucked that it happened, you know? Yeah.
1: So you finished, you finished two and both on the podium. So one would wonder what might've been had you been able to finish, you know, more races, right? Cause at least, you know, you got podium speed and in the ability to win. Um, so I'm assuming that, there's uh, a plan to race that car again this year.
2: Um so I raced that car last year for for someone else and I bought okay. my own car to do it with my dad and, and ah, my family and our okay. team. Uh so that's that's where that's where we're gonna go.
1: Okay. So you're still gonna run the series, but you just have your own car now. So you will run for the family. Now um we we kind of skip over here to the super because um, you got an opportunity. You had told me, um, you told me a couple of years ago that you thought it would be you might be 20 years old before you got a chance at a big block super modified. Um, that that message didn't age well. Um, you're 18 and you've already had uh four shows, four or five shows in a super. How did all that come about last year that you got some time and kind of talk about uh, what that was like to do?
2: Um, yeah that i'm glad that message didn't age that well but um (laughs) me too (laughs) i know uh it was it was saturday night of the super crown nationals at lorraine and they really wanted my dad to bring out the second car just for uh for more car count and you know stuff to that and uh okay he couldn't he couldn't find anyone to race the car for him so that's amazing i i tried getting jj in the car and and stuff like that and when it boiled down to someone that needed to fit, you know, I had my stuff from the sprint car the Friday night beforehand. And I was like, Hey, you know, let's, let's do this.
1: So and, you were uh, the one that ended
2: up putting me in it.
1: You were the one that asked your dad if you could do it.
2: Yeah. I had, I, uh, all year I had begging him. I had been begging him to uh let me do it. And, and he was always against it. He wanted me to get more seat time and, and almost anything really. Um, but we were talking to Denny Watson, one of the MSS officials. Yeah. And, uh, when my dad was like, I don't have anyone to do it. And I had already made mention to let me do it. The, uh, Denny, he looked at me and he pointed at me and he goes, just let him do it. And, uh, I guess that's what threw him over the edge
1: (laughs) so i I assume that denny got a nice christmas card from you um Uh, yeah (laughs) i'm sure uh yeah i'm
2: sure that was great
1: (laughs) so all right so what was it like to actually get in the the big block car for the first time and and take it out on the track because one thing to sit in it at the shop it doesn't do anything um it's when you get to the racetrack and get to feel the power of it what was that like for you and 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 how did it it feel differently from the sprint car.
2: Um the biggest thing I could say is the sprint car it's you're you're more of a <clears throat> you're driving the car. Um you're hustling it, you're constantly moving your arms. No matter how smooth you want to be, you just you can't be smooth. Okay. Um with the super I it was almost like driving a spot car. I felt like I could let go of the steering wheel and it would turn by itself. Yeah. Um, you're, you're way lower. Um, it's just, it's so, it's almost like your, your Cadillac to your Ford yeah. reference, yeah. but at a, a, at a higher scale,
1: even though you have significantly more horsepower, right? Yeah. But the tires and the wing and everything else kind of negate some of the effect of that on, on on you, I guess it kind of, it kind of, you know, cause it plants you in the racetrack, right? Is that pretty much what it, what it is?
2: Yeah. Um, the sprint cars, they're definitely planting you down in the track with the wing, but, uh, it's really weird. The dynamic of the wing on the supers with the way it moves, if you, and, and with all the left side weight, if you lift at the wrong spot, you could be going for a wild ride and, Oh, wow. And it's, yeah, it's definitely, it's more of a precision racing where the sprint car is more of a, not a wild man, but more of a wild man.
1: Aggressive, more aggressive.
2: Yes, yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Gotcha. So now you, you ended up driving for the Laseckis. How did that happen?
2: Um, you know, we grew up with the Lisecki family. Um, my brother raced a quarter midget for him once or twice. Um, oh, cool. But my dad, he had always helped them out, you know, and it, it was kind of like a, a mutual, a mutual thing. And, um, I guess after them watching me race the 19 car, they saw that I had car control and they were confident enough and, and letting me start and park and, and run a couple laps with their car.
1: Okay. So you did that, um, what four times last year you were in that car?
2: Yeah, I'd say around four.
1: Okay. So, um, so now, you you obviously bought a sprint car to run so does that mean that you're not going to race the super is there just not an opportunity to race the super talk about um because i know i'm sure that everybody who knows you and knows your family would love to see you in a car so at what point does that happen or or doesn't it
2: um definitely growing up around the super is it it puts this it puts the idea of racing one up on a pedestal and, and nothing can touch it. Sure. Um, so the, the idea is to be in the super, that's where I want to be. You know, it, it, it puts the sprint car to shame almost when you, <laughs> when you race it. Um, but it seems like this year, I'm not real sure what the game plan is. I know what this ISMA and MSS merge that kind of put a damper on all local shows. Um, that uh, that definitely makes it harder for a, a younger rookie driver to be able to get seat time and learn without going into these big national shows, you know, at, at 18 years old, it's probably not the best idea to be throwing a, a rookie on, on Oswego and telling them to figure it out. You know? We
1: won't tell that to Tyler Thompson.
2: Oh yeah. He's uh he's
1: <laughs> or chase lock.
2: Yeah. He's, or Ryan he's definitely a, a hot shoe there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they, I mean, and I get it, right? Like, I understand where you're coming from, but it seems like nowadays, you know, younger and younger. Um, I remember Bobby Santos coming in as a 16-year-old and racing a classic. And it's just amazing to see someone that young with all that horsepower and see them handle it well. Um, So kind of interesting that you're saying, maybe I'm not quite there yet, Um. So has there been any talk at all of you getting into a super this year, or are we, we just run in the sprint car and, um, you know, hoping for an opportunity at some point with, with the big block.
2: Um, there's definitely been talks about getting into a, to a car and, and, um, it just seems like with the way the schedule is this year, it might make it a little bit more difficult. Um, I definitely like to, try and convince my dad to put me back in the family car, you know, once we can get the engine back from the engine builder and and at least run high miler and Lorraine and try and get some more laps under my belt and stuff to that effect.
1: There we go. Hey, So everybody that's listening to this show, go send his dad a message and say, look, you know, we, hashtag Sawyer in a super. Um, that's, <laughs> that's the new hashtag, Sawyer in a super in 23. We want to see it. Um, now, what what you did not say is you didn't say that you may not be in a car at Oswego. There are some, perhaps some some conversations going on that you may be in a car at some point at, at, at Oswego this year. But but you know we're not gonna we're not gonna say what yet because it hasn't been officially announced. But if you've been on social media, it's been talked about, and if you listened to last week's show then it was kind of sort of sort of kind of talked about too so you can go and if you if you're not on socially and listen to the show well sorry you're just going to have to wait for the press release but uh there may be a possibility right so that you may be able to go in a car at some point this year notice we didn't say big block
2: <laughs> yeah um there's definitely something in the works and something i'd be really excited to participate in and you know, I think I think it'd be with a great team and, and definitely a great car. If you get what I'm saying, there. Yep. And I think <laughs> either one, <laughs> uh, I think I'd be I'm pretty excited, grateful for the opportunity if it all pans out the way that it should. And I, uh, I really think I think we can go places. Yeah,
1: it, it would be fun to see that happen. So we'll 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 hope for the best. Um, and again, remember, folks, uh, hashtag Sawyer in a super. Um, OK, so um now your your real job, interestingly enough, has zero to do with open wheels or super modified racing. You you work for ThorSport. Um, what? How did that particular situation arise? And tell us what you do for the NASCAR Craftsman. Truck series. I love being able to say that again because now <laughs> when I do, it's not a mental lapse anymore. Um, been calling it Craftsman since it was Craftsman, and you know, and I, I just blame it on age. But um, now we're back to Craftsman, and it's correct again. So, what do you? How did ThorSport happen, and what do you do
2: there? Um, so my brother, uh, he works over there. He's <clears throat> one of the mechanics on the now the thirteen team with Haley Deegan. Oh, okay. Um, so. Seeing him work there, it was like, man, I want to work there. I want to work on race cars for a living. Um, so I went to school for body shop and refinishing and collision work, and they have a, a body and paint shop there. Uh, my brother's boss, Rich Lucius, the uh, the crew chief for Haley Deegan, uh-huh. uh, he had seen some of the stuff that I painted, and, and I made a joke once or twice about working there. And one time uh, over the summer, Uh, I just quit my one job and I was unemployed, but I was okay with it. I don't, I don't want to work. Um, (laughs) and, uh, he texts me and he goes, Hey, you know, what's your employment status? And I'm like unemployed. And, uh, (laughs) you said maybe, (laughs) yeah. And, uh, he said, all right, just make sure you answer your phone here in a little while. And it was about, it was within the week, uh, the body shop manager called me and, and asked if I wanted to start working there and I had about a one minute interview over the phone and uh, I was there that next Monday.
1: So you suddenly had this urge to work again.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, it was definitely <laughs> a job when I needed it and it's, uh, it's treated me well since I bet.
1: What's it, what's it like to work for a NASCAR team? And and it's even cooler that it's right. Basically in your, your backyard and in Sandusky what's it like to to work for for the Thorsons I've always heard Duke and Rhonda are great people to work with
2: um yeah it's it's nice to work there um the wow factor uh it kind of it definitely settles and it turns into a you know this is my job I gotta be here every day it turns into one of those but um it's definitely still cool to sit there and and to look at and be like ah wow I work for a NASCAR team you know it's just it's kind of cool
1: championship winning NASCAR team I might add right because that is is correct yeah (laughs) which not everybody can say that and um you know you get a good lineup this year so definitely another championship is is very possible for you in the truck series so that's that's got to be cool um what else does Sawyer enjoy doing when he's not uh doing something in racing which seems like mostly that's what you're doing between work and your hobby
2: oh yeah and uh You know, whenever I'm not racing, it's we're at home. We're working on the race cars, or um, a lot of the times we'll we'll go out to Boss, which is in Cleveland. It's an indoor electric go kart track. I go there with my friends. Oh, nice! We hang out there, and um, you know, if we're not doing that, then we're at home playing iRacing together. So it's uh, it it seems like that's all my life revolves around anymore.
1: Which isn't a bad thing. It's a great sport, very family-oriented, and uh, especially in the piece of it that you happen to uh, fall into with uh, with the Supers, um, it's just it's it's amazingly multi-generational, it seems like, even more so than other forms of racing, at least that I know of. Um, and so that's got to be awesome. Now, okay, so we're running the Sprint car this year, and hopefully if everybody, um, again, hashtag Sawyer in a super, um, it, maybe you'll get some starts, but, uh, (laughs) what is your, I mean, do you have any aspirations at all beyond say super modified racing? I, I, you've actually had a chance to work for a truck team. So, I mean, do you have any thoughts at all of maybe taking this farther if an opportunity ever arose?
2: Um, that would definitely be cool. Um, I don't know, you know, the realistic part of that, I don't know if that would ever be able to happen. Um, Anymore, it seems like a money game um, and money is what I do not have. Right. Um, so um, it would definitely be cool to be able to do racing for a living, but it seems a little far-fetched for right now.
1: So do you have a driver that you kind of pattern yourself after or that you kind of emulate? I mean, you've grown up around so many amazing racers. Um, and now of course being at Thor sport, you got all those and you're in the kind of the NASCAR world too. So do you have a, do you have a driver that's kind of your favorite that you, you tend to sort of pattern yourself after or no?
2: Um, down here more at a, at a local level of knowing them, I would definitely say either Trent Stevens or DJ shoe. you know, I grew up with them and they've been such a big part of my life. It seems like growing up, you know, I've known Trent for for 15 years now and I'm only 18. So it's, it's, (laughs) uh, it's... I've known him ever since I could think. Yeah. Really? uh, You know, so he's a big part and DJ obviously with him being back and forth, but you know, there's, there's rich family history there. And, um, you know, so that's, that's very cool. Um, more of a, a bigger level. Um, I like Christopher bell. He's one of my favorite drivers. Okay. Um, So, yeah i would say i would say those guys
1: well he just uh just started a sprint car team so uh you know i mean hey you start winning some uh start winning some must see light races and who knows what could happen right <laughs> <laughs> of course you have wish. to change surfaces but um gavin bochelle racing for uh for Chris right now. And Gavin's a 14 year old from down here, a 13 year old. That is just absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah. kid is supremely talented. So, um, but okay. So, um, how can, if people want to follow you or get to know you better, social media wise, uh, where did they do it?
2: Um, so all I really have right now is just a, a normal Facebook page and a normal Instagram page. Okay. Um, you know, I don't have the the big fancy uh, commercial pages yet. I didn't think I was fancy enough to have one of those, but maybe it might be time to start one up. And yeah,
1: we're trying to see, see how where, that goes. That's the whole point of this show: seeing the Sawyer and the Super thing. We're trying to build your brand here, so yeah, just uh, cooperate with us here, son. Um, no, great. So, so basically, just search Sawyer Stout on Facebook or Instagram, and they'll find you. Yeah. Yeah all right well it's been great to have you on and um definitely excited to see it's it's always fun to to watch somebody like yourself who's a generational racer um have the first success and i remember when you won those those front wheel drive races it was just so cool to see because you've obviously been around it a long time and 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 now just hearing you in the interview it, it you you definitely have the urge to do it and and the desire to do it well so hopefully you will get your shot in the uh in the big block supers to to run for a championship and get some some consistent time but in the meantime you can have fun with the sprint car and um and in, and enjoy your work at thor sport uh thanks for being on the show and look forward to keeping up with you as the the season goes on. You win a race, we'll bring you back on.
2: Alrighty, I appreciate it.
1: All right, that's Sawyer Stout. We're going to come back with What's in a Number? And yep, I screwed up again with a number two and forgot a big one last week. And so uh, we'll talk about that when we uh, get back right around the corner after this. Stay with us. More of the groove coming up. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove, Indy Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry, from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, supermodifieds. It doesn't matter. If you've got something that you need designed or fabricated, let them help you transform your idea, your vision, and your budget into a workable, high-performance solution they have all kinds of services, from 3D printing to finishing services. End-to-end the composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indyperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. Welcome back to the show. As we get into our final segment, this is what's in a number now, (laughs) as seems to happen so often lately, um, I messed up again last week. We, we did the number two and again, you just, I just know because, um, the brain takes more frequent naps than it used to and you know, sometimes just in the spur of the moment, it just doesn't give you a total recall. And so I missed, and I, and this is surprising to me because actually it was, um uh, this would have been an early miss rather than a nineties or an early two thousands miss. Um, I missed Dean Hogue in driving in the number two. And so, um, the Dean is, is certainly worth some conversation, right? So Dean started, of course, you know, his father, Dutch, is a legend in New York State racing, Northeast racing, mostly for modified. So I think, right, he did uh, drive a super uh, a few times for the Turner brothers and actually had that that last 78 that they had running pretty well until um, in the short time that he drove it. But then I think he had some sort of surgery or something and had to get out of it. So um, it was too bad because it would have been interesting to see if he had more time in the car to see what he could have done. But uh, Dean raced modifieds for a number of years as a young man before he uh, decided to go super modified racing. And when he did decide to go super modified racing, he did it by purchasing one of the best cars up there. He bought Kempton dates offset car at the end of the 78 season So 1979 was his, um, his first time. And I, I remember for whatever reason, I remember the port city race that year. Now, again, you're, you're, you're talking about sort of a storybook deal in a sense, because there were back to back features. There were two features that weekend. I think maybe, um, I want to say that maybe, the race the week before might've been rained out. So it set up a Saturday, Sunday double header kind of thing, but regardless of how it happened, um, there was a double header and Dave Shulick came in from Ohio with a Jim Bodner car and ended up winning the Saturday portion. And then on Sunday, um, the port city race was one of those attrition races, right? Um, if I remember right, I think that was the race where Jimmy champagne and Doug Hevron got into a tangle and Jimmy ended up on top of Doug and caught fire or Doug. Was it no Doug was on top of Jimmy, I think. Um, but, um, and, and I think Doug pulled him out of the car. Pretty sure. Um, and, and so it was one of those races, everybody fell out. (laughs) And so, you know, and, and, and you started to, you know, the, the fuel concerns and whatever, um, at one point, I want to say that Jerry Buskey was up contending for the win, and I think he might have actually ended up second. But in that race, Dean was a driver that again that was running. He was only his, I don't know, second or third time in the car. Excuse me, but Dean had a really good run in that car, and uh, I think he felt. I think I don't know if he ran out of fuel, but he didn't finish. But he had a shot, uh, and Dave Schillick ended up winning that race two, So he won both of them on the weekend. It was his first two. Those were his first two wins at Oswego. but it was pretty evident that Dean was going to be, he was going to be a good racer and did very well in 79 with the dates car. And then, um, sold that to, well, he, I, I think he might've started the 1980 season with it. And, but then, um, unbeknownst to, many people um he commissioned Maynard Troyer to build him a car now this was toward the end of Troyer's career and um at least I want to say this was 80 it might have been 81 again sometimes the years com- compress but I think it was 1980 um he he brought it Maynard builds this. I mean, this car, it was one of the most beautiful pieces of, of craftsmanship I've ever seen in a super modified pit area. Drop dead. Gorgeous had the, the, you know, the, the, um, long, it was sort of a, a, the roll cage was, I feel like set way back. It was like the front end was very long and, um, man, that thing was gorgeous. Maynard finished, what did he get? Fifth? I think fourth or fifth. First time he ever put it on the racetrack, Maynard drove it for a few weeks. And, and he got a top five the first night. It was a big race, um, maybe a 75 or a hundred. And um, this was, I'm going to say, probably halfway through the season or at least part of the way. Because it was, like I said, it was one of the double headers. And boy, Maynard just, holy cow, Um Incredible. It just, it, and it was a beautiful piece. So finally, after a few weeks, Dean gets in it and, um, and he runs really well. I mean, he, he, he did a great job with the car and was running really well in the classic, had a terrible gotten. It wasn't his fault. I don't think just got involved in a pileup had a terrible crash with the car. And then <laughs> that's when, that's when the head scratching began for those of us who are in the stands. The car comes out next year and it's still the same car, except it's, it's got this snowplow front end on the end of it. Like I'm not sure what that was, but it, it, it was one of those things. It's like slowly the car went from being the most beautiful super to not the most beautiful super. And and that sort of started this trend of hog cars that were, um, not very aesthetic. We'll just put it like that. Um, to the point where, you know, the one became known as the Ugly Duckling, and he had several of those. Um, <laughs> he, uh, I don't know. I, I, Dean's Dean's uh, mind worked a little differently, I guess. We remember the banana boat car that he had. The, the thing that looked like a banana split, uh, something you get a banana split in um, that there were just a number of those. And, and, you know, he for whatever reason, he he was I don't know if he was just trying to be outside the box or whatever. But um, he had the one car that I think was a show car, if I'm not mistaken. But I, I could be wrong about that. But it, it was kind of made to look like the Champagne 89, I think. And that's the one he won his only feature win in. Um, he was a really good racer. I just feel like he wasn't necessarily, or he didn't make the best choices as far as building cars because he had a number of cars that just didn't run very well. Um, but he was a really good racer. And so, you know, Dean had, <laughs> Dean had a pretty long career as a, as a racer at Oswego with both um, his own stuff. And he also drove, I think, maybe at least one stint, if not two, in the Steve Miller Sweet Sixteen. And then um, he ended up. He he went away for a little bit, and then when the when the limited super modified division uh, started in the early nineties, Jim Paternoster had he ended up with two cars. He had a car that, um, I think he was, I think the way it went is that he was working with Scott Myers. Then he bought the car from Scott. And, um, I can't remember. He might've, I think Denny Wheeler, maybe was it Denny that drove for him first. Um, and, and then he ended up buying another car. And I don't, I don't remember. I, I know it was a whaling car. It might've been Don's, um, he ended up buying another car and that. Then he made that the forty-one. I think Denny's was fourteen, and then he bought the second car and and made it forty-one. And that's when he put Dean Hogan, and Dean ran a number of of years in in that car. And so, um yeah, it was <laughs> Dean had an interesting career, and I and I don't I don't want to take away anything uh, from his driving because he was a really really capable and talented and and you know top racer he was a good racer um he just some of the cars he had for whatever reason and i don't know just because he wanted to keep trying different things or you know whatever but some of the cars just didn't race for didn't run very well they just weren't fast enough um but uh yeah so we forgot (laughs) forgot poor dean sorry dean um didn't do that on purpose but um again, that's fun. because one of you guys calls me on it and it makes for some fun discussion in the chat and all that. So that's what, that's kind of what we like here. Um, but I don't mess up on purpose. Um, now with that all being said, I feel like I'm in real trouble with, with (laughs) in this show, because I feel like the number three, it, it, again, I may not miss like a whole car or a whole driver. Um, but if you think about Again, just skip Matsick's history with the three. He had a number of drivers in the car. So we're going to do our best here. And this is, I feel like this is sort of a, a, a different twist too, because again, I started in 73. Now I think if I remember right, I think that, cause I don't know if I ever saw Buck Buckley race the three but I know he was the three and um, I think that might've been like 72, 71 or 72 because I think it was a Holinsky car. And so I know, I know Buck was the three now again in 73 and, and, and I, I refuse to give myself an asterisk for anything I miss in 73 because I've got enough of the programs that I keep reading that I should know even though I was only five, you know, when it, when it was all going on in the moment. Um, So I'm, I'm not, I don't excuse myself, but I don't remember a number three in 73. The, the number three that I remember first, and I'm not sure if this was 74 or 75, because again, I, I lose track, but I think it might have been it might have been 75 when Skip brought Skip Matsick brought the Lindblad car out. Now, that car, if I remember right, originally, for the first like race or two, it wasn't long. Um, Jim Cheney was actually in the car. And uh, I, don't, I just don't think it ran well. I think they had a lot of new car bugs with it, and and again and and I think that the Limblads as a as a chassis were fairly new at that point, right? I mean, we had Don McLaren with that number one car, um, and oh, by the way, that let me stop right there while I'm on the subject of Don. Oh my. <laughs> The, the, another, I left him out of the number two discussion because I never knew he drove a number two. He actually got it. I saw a picture. Somebody posted online just in the last, I think it was over the weekend, this past weekend, somebody posted a picture of Don in that number two car. The one that I talked about last week, that that should be on a big, I, I, w- I would love to find a nice clear picture of it so I could blow it up to like, you know, full wall size and just stare at the thing all day. Um, that car, I never knew Don ever drove that one, but there's a picture of him and it might have been at Thompson or somewhere. It's got a little wing on it. Um, and I would have had no idea that Don would have ever fit in that car but there he is <laughs> like a marshmallow being poured into a piggy bank. Holy cow. He was, how did he get in and out? It was, so I never knew that. So that was really cool. I love when that happens because again, back then, you know, it, it, it people, you never knew it was going to be a what car sometimes. And there were cars and skip Mats we're going to go back now to skip. Um, that car was an example of a car that had a number of different drivers, sometimes more than one in a season. Um, you know, and, 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 and those were fun days when that would happen. So, um, so anyways, back to the, back to the three car, I believe that when Skip brought his Limblad out, I think that was fairly new technology then. Um, I think Denny had his had one and Denny Wheeler and Don Nelson Powell had one. And I don't know who might have had one up in New England that we don't know about. But um, I think Skip was one of the first real early on. And it just didn't seem like it handled very well. And so um, I don't know if Jim Cheney chose to leave or, you know, mutual decision or whatever. But um, at any rate, I believe that it went from Jim Cheney to Jim Gray. And there, and, and I, I, that's an interesting now, um, actually, no, it couldn't have been Jim. So, or if it was, then it must've been 74 because Jim drove the double zero in 75 for Ken Reese. So, uh, maybe Armin Holly was before Jim the first time, but I thought Jim was the next driver after Jim Cheney. So he was, it was either, it was either Jim gray next, or it might've been Armin Holly next. But the, that car w- would show flashes of, of speed, but it, it just didn't seem like it quite ever got, got consistent without the wing. Again, it was a car that I know Armand won at Fulton one night with it. And I think the motor blew up at the finish line. It must've been a junior Johnson motor, um, <laughs> um, or overheated one the, one or another, but, um, it you know it just the limbbla cars Don McLaren was the only one to ever win a feature with one of a Swiggle, at least you know without a wing. I know Ben Sights had one, and I think did he win an Isma show at a Swiggle at one point with that car, maybe, but without a wing um none of the limbblad cars ever won, so. Uh, it was either Armand, then Jim Gray after Jim Cheney had his brief start in it. Um, or it was Jim Gray, then Armand. And I, I think Jim and Armand kind of swapped back and forth a little bit. I think they each had m- multiple stints in the car. And then Brad Thrall got in it. And of course, it was Brad that had the terrible, um, crash and totaled the one i think i don't know if the throttle stuck or lost his brakes i can't remember but um if i remember correctly that was in a classic and it might have happened at the same time that that the 09 car there so that would have been maybe 79 when that happened because i think wasn't didn't that happen at the same time like you had two cars that had bad crashes at the same time in the 09 of dave thomas i think was the other car and so um, Brad drove a bit then Armand I think again um, as we got into the 80s I think Armand was back in it still that same original Imblad as far as I know and then um, Denny Wheeler actually drove it once I don't think he made the race I think that was a classic and I don't think Denny qualified it Um, and then I think that took us into the mid 80s like as we get into like 80 maybe 83 84 and um that was when ironically enough um just mentioned dean Hogue having troyer build him a car well skip Matsick had made and troyer build him a car too um and that one when it came out for whatever reason um and maybe I guess it would have to be because chip Simmons wasn't, didn't wasn't chip racing by then. So chip would have had the three. Um, so that's, I guess why they made it number one. And Gary Yule was the driver. Now that I think about that, that would have been why it changed to one. So Gary Yule was the driver. Um, and Gary had a boy. Gary had no luck. My goodness gracious. In the supers. he, he had a terrible crash in that car got a concussion got out of it they put it back together and um actually when they put it back together they put the 3 back on it and i again i'm i'm trying to figure out how that would have happened anyways it it became the 3 and um dave shulick drove it in the 84 classic so that would have been 84 uh, when they when they built the car, because I don't think um, I think it went from being the one, at, you know, earlier that year. I think Gary crashed it hard and then they made it the three and Dave Schulick drove it. And then. In. I don't know. I'm trying to think in eighty five. Um, Oh, eighty five would have been the year that Richie ran the car. That was, oh my goodness. For those of you who don't know what I'm about to talk about here or didn't see this or haven't seen it, go to YouTube. It's on there. It's, it, it, it just, just type in Richie Evans, super modified heat wind in, uh, in, in YouTube. One of the greatest Finishes most incredible moves, ballsiest moves I've ever seen at Oswego. Richie Evans in that car. I think it was Port City Day. Maybe um he 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 got to the lead, then lost the lead in the heat. Now he had never at one time had he driven us. Uh, wait a minute, no, he had driven a couple times. Richie had. It, it, we talked about the race at Thompson with Richie and Swift's car when he just blew the field into the weeds, never having driven a super before in a, in a race. Um, and then that was in 75, right? And then he, um, he had, he had bought, um, what, what, what would it have been 77? He bought, uh, he and, uh, his car owner bought the, bought out the, the Rainer town team that Ronnie Wallace was driving for the, so they, he got, he ended up with the championship super that Ronnie won the title with in 75 and then um, raced it once or twice at star, never ran it again. And Ronnie bought it back in 79. Well, Richie, now we fast forward back to 85, Richie climbs and skip Matt car. And Oh goodness. He went out, he had the lead in the heat and then lost it. And then um, he was running third, and I don't remember if Muldoon was leading and Bellinger was second or if it was the other way around, but it was the two of them, so two of the top drivers of Oswego. And Richie, out of turn four, coming to the checkered, put it three wide on top, punched the gas, and beat both of them to the finish line to win the heat incredible and and something happened to Bellinger's car, and he ended up in the car for the feature and Richie never got to drive it again and that sucked um because i i mean i would have if I was a bet man that night, I'm putting my money on him to win the feature and you, you who knows where that would have gone right what 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 history could have been made? if Richie Evans could have run, because I think the plan probably was, and I don't know this to be true, but you would surmise run all the double headers, right? Um, Whenever he was there with the modified, he'd race the super. I would guess that's what the plan was at the time. And, but for for whatever reason, Eddie started needing the car more. (laughs) So that never happened. And that's too bad uh, because again, what history could have been made there? Richie was... He was just something special, man. It it's um, just a, I could do a whole show telling Richie Evans stories, and maybe we'll try to put something together like that uh, down the road. And and you know maybe we can get some folks that knew Richie well and do a a special show about him. That's um, he was he was amazing. I mean, I, I will freely admit that as, as a young man growing up in that era, I was a Jeff Bodine fan, but I wasn't an anti Richie or anti-Maynard or, you know, I just, Jeff was my guy. If Richie won, I was fine. If Maynard won, it it, it wasn't, you know, kind of wasn't like that. Um, I just was always a Bodine fan, but Richie, Richie was amazing, just an amazing driver. So, um, that I think that was the year that Doug Heveron drove it in the classic and um had a pretty good run. I think he was up front for a while and I don't, I want to say something happened to the car maybe toward the end and he faded. I think he finished maybe, I think he finished it, but I don't think it was, I think it was maybe right around 10th or 11th, something I feel like it was just outside the top 10 and there was some issue with the car or the motor toward the end, I feel like. I may, I may be wrong, but I'm, I'm almost 100% positive that that was the year that Dougie drove it in the Classic. Now, uh, after that, gosh, um, that's a good question because I know that there was a point... And I'm trying to tread carefully here because um, that was around the time that Doug Didero was driving for Kempton Dates after he had started racing at Oswego with Ralph McLaughlin. Doug started driving for Kempton Dates and I think that might have been 85 as well. So then... There was a, let me think here, because um, either Doug started driving it after that um, and then Randy Ritzkis drove it, or I feel like maybe Randy perhaps, when did Randy even know he wouldn't have even been in a swiggle yet? Um, hmm. So maybe Didero did run for him a little bit in 86, maybe 87 in there. Because I don't think Randy, I'm trying to think when Randy would have started, but I don't think he was, because he, he drove his own car first before he he started at Oswego in his own car. That was, And that would have been to like 88 or 89. So it must have, I think maybe it was Didero, because I can't remember who else would have driven that car. I know Doug Heverin didn't stay in it. Um, That was just a classic deal, I believe. And so I'm not sure what would have been in 86 for Skip. Um, But Doug, uh, I think maybe Doug early on, perhaps, um, took a, took a, a, a trip in it and somebody is going to somebody will know and will correct me on this and that's fine but um then they're they're so who would have been good gosh did skip take maybe take some time off and didn't race maybe um or as much but then um eventually i know Ritzkiss drove for him and they had the um they still had the Troyer car at first. Um, gosh, when did because I feel like it was what year did Doug drive? Havron came back, but I don't think it was '86, was it? I think Doug was still running the modifieds back then. I don't think he drove for Skip until like 1990 or something, did he? Um, because I don't think, I think he was gone from Oswego for a little bit as far as the Supers went. And he came back and ran in eighty. I think he was gone in 86, came back in 87. And that's when Doug drove for Mazur, Haveron. So I'm trying to think what happened to the three or who would have been in the three. And I feel like maybe Didero was in it. And then for, where did, but where would Doug have gone? Oh, oh, that's so I think he was, and then I think he went and drove for Kenny, not Kenny Williamson, for um, Don Romage, didn't he, in the later eighties. So maybe he went into the three for a year or two, and then went over to Don. Um, golly, and then Ritzkus took over. I think. I think maybe at that point it was it was Randy, or maybe Haveron drove first. Could be. Um, cause I think it was like 90 or 91 when Doug got in the three and he just, again, I think, I don't know if, you know, for whatever reason it they just didn't run all that well, definitely not up to either of their standards. Right. And then, um, then there was so, so I guess, but gosh, I don't know. Cause Randy, um, I know that Randy, they had a new car for him. And I don't, I'm trying to remember what car that was, if they built it themselves or, or what it was. But I know there was a car, there was a car that they had that Randy drove. That wasn't the Troyer. It was after the Troyer and Randy had been driving the Troyer. And then there was a car that wasn't the Troyer. So either they built it or they bought it or whatever. Um, because I remember that Scotty Martell drove the Troyer car in a classic one year. Um, I think they made it 14 for him. And he drove it, and he may have been the last one to, to drive it. And that had to be that had to be like ninety two, maybe one or two, ninety one or two, somewhere in there, maybe. This is where my brain gets fuzzy when I try to start really recalling the 90s. So, so I think what, then what happened is I think it was, wasn't it? How, what year did Doug, was it 94 that Doug Didero came back to him? And, um, I'm not sure. Cause, cause then they, Doug built the two, the two cars that were the red cars, um, those were, I think Doug DiDaro built those. They were, I get, I think it was because he had been down here in North Carolina by then, I believe. And I think he built those two. Um, and that's when he came out. And I think he, that was the beginning of what turned into the sort of the Didero Muldoon period where those two not exclusively, but they were doing a lot of the winning and, and, um, and, and that was, that was pretty intense. Um, So, and, and then um, gosh, Doug ran Doug ran for skip right up till let's see, um, this is where I'm going to lose the years, but I know that they had the two cars and I believe that Bentley had it, I think he might've run two classics, two different classics in the second car. Um, and uh, then uh, that's when Skip sold out. And I, th- I don't, I think that was it once Skip sold those two cars. And I think, at least one of them went, who is, who's the guy in Ohio? Um, oh gosh. Um, <laughs> see, this is unbelievable. Um, I can't remember. Uh, May, Dave May, didn't he? It, it, didn't Dave May buy both of them? I know he bought at least one and I think he still got him, doesn't he? But wasn't there a Kovacs that was, was, did, did maybe Kovacs bought him, and then Dave May bought from Kovacs, um, those cars, but I think, <laughs> excuse me, I think that was the end of Skip's run at Oswego. Um, and uh, so I mentioned, I mentioned Chip Simmons driving the three. Jim Muldoon drove chips, chips three. uh That was a show car, and Jim Muldoon drove that. Goes back to the early '80s, but I wanted to make sure I. Snuck that one in because Jim, that was a classic run that Jim had in that car. And I remember he time trialed like he was way up front um, and, you know, way better than than what probably any of us thought he would do in the car. Because, of course, you know, we'd seen Chip in it and there was a guy named. Um, there was a guy that drove. Oh, man, who was. He, there was a guy that drove chip's car one time, the blue number three one time. Um, and he was all over the place. I remember thinking that at any moment that thing's going to hit a wall and just explode, um, into a million pieces. Um, the poor guy he uh, he had not, i don't know if he'd ever even raced before and i don't remember his name it was at the end of a season and i just i can picture the car just like it was almost weaving back and forth on the straightaway like like it, it wasn't it wasn't he wasn't heating his tires he was just out of control i can't remember the the, the guy's name and I, I think he only raced the one time and it was never i don't think he ever raced again but um and then chip ended up um he bought chip bought uh who's one of the tobin car maybe the offset tobin car because that became the 84 right the 84 lumber car (coughs) excuse me so i think that was um yeah that's what happened there um and and so that was the end of skip's run oh boy um now this is what see again this is where i'm gonna lose it because um Uh, The the closer we get, um, short-term memory is the worst. So I think I want to say, I don't remember if Scotty Landers was three or oh three, but I know I, I, I remember Scotty, um, that was a beautiful car that he had. Um, and that was, he was the one that didn't he, wasn't he the one that lost the cage, lost the roll cage? um i think it was joe Hawksby, wasn't it wasn't it landers that they were they, again it was just a pile up it wasn't like it was but it's somehow hawksby like caught the the cage of the lander's car in it and it tore it literally pulled the cage off the car um and uh i don't remember if that was three or oh three um but uh i remember i do remember scotty racing and i think he was a number three Um, oh boy. Um, I think that was, I think that was it, uh, for the threes in that, that time. Um, and now I know there's going to be a number three currently, and I'm going to get roasted because my brain's not let me think of who it would be. Um, I mean, it ended up Didero. Didero came back as the three um with this the car that camden now has camden proud now has that was the three for a while so i don't think there is a three currently um i think Didero's comeback in the three car was was the next time there was a three so i think that went for a little while without um a a regular number three but there's some real interesting history there like i said skip Matsick was um Boy, he was he. Not only was he a a really intelligent guy when it came to cars, but he, you know, he was he and Lois were, um, what's the word I want to use? Um, just you know, I I want to say like ambassadors, but that's not the right word. But they were sort of they were around the Swiggle for a long time and super modifieds for a long, long time. And, um, and really, again, so much success at the end with Didero, um, after so much frustration earlier on with a lot of the cars that, that they had that just, again, didn't necessarily run well, or when they did, you know, something broke, I mean, Yule was running, Gary Ewell ran, he was doing well with, with the car when it was number one at that point. And he was amazing, um, as a driver, Gary Gary could race dirt, he could race modifieds. and um but he just he had the crash and then um I think it was in positive was it. because when he I think he finished second to Bentley in eighty four in the classic with it. But they had made it number three again. And um and Yule ended up there was a later I think after that, he came back with that black 56 Troyer car that was, again, just stunning. When Maynard Troyer built a car, it was almost too pretty to race. I mean, that 56 was a beautiful race car, but again, um, Gary destroyed that thing and hurt himself again, I think. And um, that was it. He didn't race super anymore. It was too bad because i i really gary was fun to watch and of course you know who would ever forget the roof dance you know that he did on the modify when he won the the modified 200 um in 83 and of course you know leave it to Eddie bellinger to copy it right when you know when he won in the super the next day um you know you can't dance on the roll cage so he danced on the back end of the car but um just uh Again, the, the the things you remember, but yeah, Skip Matzik had a very colorful career, and the number three was that was um, I would say honestly at Oswego, um, you equate the three with Doug Didero, but you have to also equate it with Skip, because although in the last few years of Doug's career, he built the cars, and and John Coloca was was the owner, but Doug was the builder and driver, but but you know, Skip I think it was it was that combination of Doug and Skip that <clears throat> that um really made Doug Didero's career. And kind of, you know, that was um the years with Skip were the blast off for Doug Didero, although he showed pretty quickly back although he goes all the way back when when he was in the uh, the the 48 for Ralph he started in the older car that Ralph had, which was an old show car from the seventies. It was, I think they made it 47 and, and Doug drove that for a little bit and then ended up driving the newer show car that Ralph had, which was, they called it the B remember it was black and yellow and you could see Doug's talent even in that car. And then he got in dates car and ran really well in that. And he had a hard crash. And I think Kemp, if I remember the story that Kemp told correctly, I think Kemp was, was um afraid that that Doug had kind of gotten you know a little nervous after the crash, and um I think what Kemp said is something to the effect of you know I should have been more patient with him you know and um it, you know it it just it was just amazing right so um I would say it was it was it was it was Ralph and Kemp who certainly launched doug's super modified career but when he got hooked up with, with Matzik, that's, that's really when it, when it happened. So, um, you know, it, it was, um, it's fun to think about some of those days, but skips another one of those car owners that, you know, is super modified racing would not have been the same. The history, not, not just because of the success that he had, but, you know, again, giving, so many drivers and opportunity and, and even, you know, Jim Gray didn't win anything. I don't think in the car, but, um, again, that was a, that was a really interesting choice, uh, for, for him and skip to get together because other than Jim winning that one race in the Reese car, you know, he, he, it wasn't like he had a resume of winning, right? So you go, you go from Jim Cheney to Jim Gray, or maybe it was Jim Cheney to Armin Holloway to Jim Gray, but even Armin was a driver that was really successful, right? Not so much at a swiggle, but certainly elsewhere. And um, so I think it was pretty, honestly, I think it was pretty amazing that that Jim, that Skip gave Jim Gray an opportunity to get in the car. And, um, and Jim was such a good engineer, um, you know, and again, sometimes you can, Sometimes as an engineer, you know, you, 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 Jim was another one that, that just, um, and we'll get eventually get to Jim when we get to 31, um, down the roadways. But Jim was, was another one of those driver, another one of those guys that, that, um, you know, he was always trying to innovate something and that it all didn't, some of it didn't work well, but that's okay because that's what, that's what it was then. And that's what made it special is, is, you know, who can build a better mousetrap and who can build something really different and make it go right. And, and, uh, you know, who's going to show up with what. So, you know, we had Jim on an earlier show and I, I need to, to go back to that. And, and that's worth the replay because, um, you know, it's a fascinating story. I mean, Jim, you know, Jim had a long career and it was, he's just one of the nicest people you'd ever know. So it was good that he's a part of Skip's history there um, in in the three cars. So there you go. Um, there's the three. Now, we spent 43 minutes on the three. The 12 doesn't have as much history, I don't believe. Uh, and, again, I'm probably going to get wrecked here. But he, here we go with the 12 because I think we can do this pretty quickly. When I first started going, Claire Trierweller. Um was was the was the car owner of the twelve car that Nick Rowe drove. It was Michigan based. That car always had uh, a starter in it. So it didn't need to be pushed. He was the first car on the track, it seemed like, every year um, and, and, you know an opening day. And um, they were together for for about what, probably four or five years total, but um I only saw him race for a year or maybe two at the most at the end of Nick's career. And then, um, um, uh, McClure at, was it not Al McClure? Is it Al McClure? I think it was Al McClure. That was his name Al. There was a McClure that took over. I think it was Al, right. Um, that took over, um, might not have been Al. I don't feel like Al's right anyways his name was mcclure took over for a year or two and then nick's son george got in the car nick Rowe's son george row they had they had a new car by then and that car was red and um nick or uh, george raced it um a bill mcclure i think was the name now that i'm thinking about it i think it was Bill McClure. Um, and, and, uh, I think George Rowe raced it for a short time. And then I think Bill McClure a- actually got back in it. I'm not sure if he ever got back in it at a swiggle, but I think he did have another stint in the car. And, and then I feel like the number 12 was kind of other than, um, I think Joe Grunder was a 12. Wasn't he at one point? Do I not remember that? I think it was, I think it was, I think Joe Grunder had a 12 at one point. Um, and, um, and and then uh, I feel like there was a pretty big gap in that number until Johnny Teresi pulled it out of thin air. He had, was that a Graves? I think it was a Graves car, wasn't it? An early earlier Graves? And that car was yellow and red. I loved it. And I remember Pat Abel getting in it one night. He drove it pretty quickly, and I think he ended up having a wreck with it. Something broke or something, but... Um, so Johnny had the 12 and, um, and then I think, and this is where I get confused. Cause I think I can't remember. I know Andy Powell was number two in the limiteds, but I think when he got to the super, I think he had to be 12 because I think one Hawksby, I think one of the Hawksby was still racing. So I think Andy was a 12 and I don't, I don't remember any other 12s between in, in that, you know, those, those, that period of time. Um, and again, this is where I'm going to get, cause there may be a 12 that runs now. And I'm, again, my brain is not letting me, um, be current here, but, um, but, yeah, there, there's not as much. I don't think there's as much history with the 12. And, and, and I would equate, if, if, again, if you're going to kind of associate the 12 um, with with a certain driver or car or whatever, it would have to be, I think, Nick Rowe. Um, because he certainly, you know, was probably the most recognizable and they were there for, you know, a number of years. That, that's not a really super common number, I don't think, at least at Oswego with the supers there, there may have been some other numbers down, you know, at New England or Ohio at 12, but I just don't remember, you know, too many of those at Oswego. but, uh, the history of the number three is certainly, certainly quite rich. And so, um, and, and Doug Diderot for driver, but also Skip Matzik, I would argue you need to name check both of them when you come, when it comes to the number three at Oswego. Um, and so, you know, again, you you put, uh, you, you got to mention Richie, you got to mention Eddie Bellinger drove it um, a number of times. Uh, and so I think that was all in 85 maybe. So uh, I'm not sure. Like I said, 86, I, I feel like Didero drove for him early and then drove for Don Ramage afterward. But uh, that's where I'm not, so maybe somebody can, can, um, we, maybe we can straighten out like 86 to, you know, 86 to 88 or so, or whatever that period, um, after 85, um, and you know, before, cause like I said, I believe that Doug Haveron I think it was 90 or 91 when he got in the Troyer car. And, um, and I know Ritzkiss had, you know time in that and a different car that I again maybe they built themselves or maybe it was I can't remember um who would have built the car but um yeah so there you go that uh that was that was fun i i again i may be missing one or two but um that's that's the fun that we have with this so uh 3 and 12 are now done y'all can have a little fun with 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 those um any that i might have missed um any stories about any of them and um you know next week we will do four and 13 and that's going to be fun because again when you think back to the 70s those two numbers were certainly and, and again multiple drivers too so um yeah we'll do four and 13 on next next week's show so hope you've enjoyed this um and I hope that you enjoy when it, when it comes by the, uh, the 72 season rewind um, forgot what actual week we were in when I recorded it, but um, what uh week of the season, but uh, it's still early. We're very early in the 72 season. So we're going to try to crank, you know, more of those out more frequently as I can now that we're doing them as standalones and lots of news I know has happened. So we're going to try to see if uh, maybe we can get cam, uh, and, and do a news segment as well. And that will not be part of a big show. It will just, we'll just put it out. Cam and I can record it. Um, we'll just, um, we'll just put it out. So that'll be, that'll be fun to do. And so again, we're, we're going to try to get more frequent pieces of content, um, coming, coming your way just because it keeps the total show time a little shorter too. So we were a little longer with this segment than what I thought we would probably be, but, um, there you have it so that's it we're done uh, checkered flag is out inside groove 112 is uh in the history books here hope you all have enjoyed it uh, thanks again to um to jeff west and uh sean cathcart and rich worth um and all three uh companies of course jns paving and Lagroff's pub and skip's fish fry uh, food truck which we will talk about through the year and um course jeff west and ipc indies so thank you to all of them for their support thanks to all of you who listen please share the show and uh, look forward to talking to you if you've not subscribed to the magazine by the way please do um, more super modified coverage coming in march and we're going to you know throughout the year and our community is going to open we got a definite date now um, i'm just sticking content in there and i and i've got a big cart weekend of racing that we're going to put some more content in we're going to open it on the, I think it's the fifteenth on a Friday of February. I think it, I think it would be the fifteenth, um, or whatever th- that, th- maybe the tenth. But it's a week from this Friday, whatever date that is. I think it's the tenth. We're gonna open the subscriber community, and we have got some really awesome stuff planned, um, as in giveaways. Winning not when it opens, but shortly after. So we're working on that. Um, So again, there's going to be a real good reason to subscribe because you're going to have a chance to do a lot of fun things or win a lot of fun things. Um, So it's not just the magazine, you'll get the community as well. All right, that's it. I'm done. I want this segment to be under an hour and I'm still eight minutes shy. So thank you all for um, being uh, Inside Groove supporters and I hope you all have a great week. And we'll talk to you on the next Inside Groove. Until then, I'm Tom
0: Baker. Thanks for listening. So long and God bless. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production.